Hello, and welcome to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby Rogers, and I'm the content specialist here at PatientWorthy. On this episode of the podcast, we have a conversation between our managing editor, Alana Bean, and Amy Dom. She's the head of the Cushing Support and Research Foundation Patient Support Group for Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. Cushing syndrome is a disorder that can occur when the body makes too much of the hormone cortisol, sometimes known as the stress hormone. In the interview, you'll hear Amy discuss some of her experiences as a disease advocate and also get introduced to her service dog, Sam. This episode was recorded at the yearly Rare Disease Day at the U.S. Capitol in February 2020. There will be some background noise as the interview was recorded at the Senate, and Rare Disease Day is always a busy time on Capitol Hill. We hope you enjoy the episode, and if you'd like to reach out and share your own story, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter by searching for PatientWorthy, or get the latest updates in rare disease news at PatientWorthy.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Alana. Um, this is, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast by Patient Worthy. Today, I'm at uh, the Hart Building of the Senate with a special guest today. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amy Dom. I am with the Patient Advisory Council and the new head of the support group for the uh, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia uh, Cushing Support and Research Foundation support group. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Great to see you again. Yes, I met Amy a few years ago, um, partially because she has an amazing dog called Sam, who I think we'll talk about later. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sam always is in the background. Yes. <laughs> we're right now, we're at a lobbying day with um, RDLA uh, for rare diseases. And how did you get involved in rare disease lobbying and rare disease advocacy in general? Um, a lot of it was initially self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It was trying to figure out uh, how to get the best information and trying to get access to the resources I need to actually mm-hmm. get treatment for myself. Yeah. Um, and as I became increasingly involved, it became increasingly clear to me that uh, it's not necessarily the people, it's the people who are the most organized, mm-hmm. who um, whose needs are the clearest and who receive yeah. the most help and attention and, mm-hmm. and financial assistance. So um, it became incumbent upon me and upon others who have Cushing's to to organize ourselves better. Mm -hmm. And it's such a difficult disease to live with um, Mm -hmm. that it can be very difficult for patients to to convey the full extent of what they're going through and to have the energy to to organize. But, um, you know, we're becoming increasingly organized and I think it's paying big dividends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did, how did you get involved with them? Like, did you reach out to someone? Did someone reach out to you? You know, it was initially what happened is that, um, I was an inpatient at the National Institutes of Health. Mm -hmm. I was involved with the protocol. One of the nurses mentioned a a newsletter that I should check out and she's like, Oh, there's a copy around here somewhere. It's just for Cushing's patients. And it's mm-hmm. called the Cushing Support and Research Foundation Newsletter. Mm-hmm. And so i that's how I first heard about CSRF. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was like an NIH rare disease patient day. So I went to that. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the audience, they mentioned uh, the lobbying. And I was like, that sounds so yeah. cool. And I'm a former diplomat. I was in the State mm-hmm. Department for over a decade. So that advocacy is in my yeah. life's blood. Uh-huh. Uh, it's something that I did professionally. I enjoy doing. 
yeah, that's kind of how I first got hooked up with it. Yeah, I feel like that's something I hear with a lot of people, where it's, like, they have this skill set that, like, already existed. Like, they were a school totally. teacher, and then, like, now it's, like, being applied to rare disease. Yeah. Or, like, they were, um, they worked at a startup, and, like, you yeah. can see it in how their foundation runs. Exactly. Like. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and it's it's been a great outlet, um, mm-hmm. but it's also been really helpful for other people, too. Yeah. How long have you been involved with it? You know, uh, I I didn't have the energy for the first year yeah. or two. And so um, I just kind of started going to a conference here and a conference there. Yeah. I'd say now for about three or four years. Yeah, yeah. At least. And um, it's grown. You know, my, my yeah. commitment has grown. So this past year, um, I represented CSRF internationally oh, cool. at the World Alliance of Pituitary Organizations mm-hmm. in Lyon, France. Oh, awesome. And yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and we did this joint session with the European Society of Endocrinology mm-hmm. when they were in Lyon. And that was amazing. Like, it just uh-huh. kind of, it was so incredible to see how Europe approaches mm-hmm. our illnesses and how, how different yeah. it is. They have different standards. Uh-huh. And so the things that I kind of took um, as being for certain here in the United yeah. States, actually, I started really kind of questioning that, you know, maybe some of the standards are in standard. Yeah. So that's really helpful. What, were, what was it like uh, in Europe? Uh, well, the, they are more organized uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in terms of having, especially for adrenal insufficiency, Okay. in terms yeah. of having dosing standards, um, you know, an understanding that once you're adrenal insufficient, you're adrenal insufficient for life. Yeah. Whereas here in the United States, it's kind of, a, you know, this dizzy ending of, oh, everything's fine, you're cured, you know, uh-huh. take your bracelet off, you're free to live your life. And that's actually not the case. And so it can be extremely confusing when people kind of hit, you know, this concrete barrier and they find out that maybe they still have to take some precautions that they weren't expecting to take. Uh-huh. So I think it's better to, you know, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Yeah. And so those standards leave some room for that. Mm-hmm. And they give more explicit instructions on how to handle, like, for example, how to handle dosing. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when to, do, when to updose, when not to dose, to carry mm-hmm. the emergency injection, to wear the... The bracelets, like mm-hmm. these, are all very important things. There's anyone listening right now who mm-hmm. like has questions, and like since there's like these misconceptions around it. Sure. Like, what are some things that they should know that like maybe there's some misinformation about in the U.S. Like, oh wow. Dosing? Well, the first, I mean, or like, some resources that they can go to. Sure. See that. <laughs> some resor- Well, the first thing I would do is suggest going to CSRF. So that's uh, CSRF, like Frank. Mm-hmm. Dot net mm-hmm. and it has great information that's the Cushing's mm-hmm. uh, Support and Research Foundation's website we have a, a medical board that uh-huh, that's everything awesome. it is it, and it, it really does help to give reliable information yeah. um, so I would say that's the first thing the second thing is to check out um, adrenals.edu excuse mm-hmm. me that's a, a new site and it's uh-huh. trans- been translated into like maybe 20 different languages. Yeah. And oh, awesome. Yeah. Addisons.co.uk really cool. has mm-hmm. kind of what I would consider the Bible. Uh-huh. But something really exciting that came out was this text. It was a nursing textbook mm-hmm. from uh, Dr. Sophia Lahana, L-L-A-H-A-N-A. And mm-hmm. she was an endocrine. She's an endocrine nurse. And so she wrote nursing endocrinology textbook for endocrine nurses. And so it's the most explicit explanations to date that I've mm-hmm. seen on how the illnesses work. You know, how the Cushing's yeah. works, how, is the, how the adrenal insufficiency after surgery mm-hmm. works. Because Cushing's can kill you slowly. Yeah. And then AI can kill you extremely quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's best to know kind of how to manage both of those diseases. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
also, I'm gonna I'm gonna divert right now. I yeah. The, the Sam story. Oh um, yes. I, I love the Sam story. Oh, thank you. I love <laughs> it too. There's so many. There's so many. First, and it's true. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I don't think like I knew part of it before. Yeah. Um, we have an article on patient where they I think it's called her her rare disease revealed his rare ability. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which is wild to think about. Yeah. I feel like with Sam. Um, I met Amy a few years ago at Rare Disease. He introduced us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, he brokered our introduction. No, I was like, look, there's a dog. <laughs> like, and I went that way. <laughs> and he, I mean, I'm sure he kind of caught your eye because he doesn't look like a typical service yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, I think part of it is like at that point I was pretty new to the rare disease space and I think I had really? more I'm surprised yeah, I'm, <laughs> well I, I have a background in medical illustration I have some like personal experiences with rare disease but yeah. it's sort of like those were all sort of more specific areas as uh-huh. opposed to sort of like so there's some things I knew a lot about and then yeah. there's a lot that I didn't know a lot about and there still is lots that yeah. I don't know about but um, I think he um sort of helped expand my idea of service dogs because I think that like I and like a lot of other people had sort of this limited idea that like it was associated with um like primarily yeah like yeah. like guide dogs which are like one type of service dogs <laughs> sure. but they also serve a lot of other purposes absolutely well you know it, he really blew up in my idea of service uh-huh. dogs too and um I mean as you covered in the article like yeah. he how he came into service dogdom was uh-huh. basically it was incredible <laughs> yeah right uh he alerted on me one night. I was uh-huh. on the couch, and he just kind of, he went crazy, and I was just like, what is going on? He jumped on my head. He started pawing at my hair. He was not mm-hmm. nuzzling my face like to wake me up. And it turned out that he could detect that I was low cortisol, and mm-hmm. he was really panicked because he knew it was dangerous. Uh-huh. So um, until that happened, until I came face-to-face with this phenomenon, I really didn't know much about it either. Yeah. But then since then, I've learned that um, you know after we went through the service dog training, Mm-hmm. Um, and learn more about the laws and the procedures mm-hmm. and, and the training itself and the dogs, you know, really it's a matter of matching up the disability with the dog. Yeah. And different dogs are trained and have mm-hmm. different innate abilities that they've been bred for. So Sam's a, he was a ratter, like he yeah. was a hunter. And so he had that really keen sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I, if, for example, if I had a French bulldog, yeah, it would have worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it's 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 really a matter of matching the disability with the dog. Uh-huh. And there are seizure dogs. There are like high blood pressure dogs. Mm-hmm. There are, let's see, you know, the the seeing eye, the guide dogs. Yeah. But there are a wide variety, um, mm-hmm. and so yeah. different animals have different abilities too. Like yeah. there's even like a service pony. That's cool. <laughs> I know. I was, the first time I saw that, I was like, Do you know what the service pony does? I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe um, mobility. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that because, makes sense. Yeah, because they're sturdy. Yeah. So that, to me, that would be the most logical. And they're not as, like, big as a horse. But, exactly, you know, like, yeah. More manageable size. Yeah, totally. But, um, yeah, we were at an event a few days ago at the FDA, and a woman, God bless her, she passed out, mm-hmm. but and her service dog was a Mastiff. Mm-hmm. And so the Mastiff was able to kind of physically kind of, you know, uh-huh. catch her and make sure that she didn't hurt herself. Uh-huh. Um, and... Yeah, it was it was wild. Like yeah, was, that is really cool. Yeah, um, he did scare Sam though. <laughs> yeah, I, bet, I, bet. I think I might have seen him because I remember my coworker commented on the mastiff because right? she was admiring. I was it. like, "What is that thing? <laughs> yeah. Is that a, a bear?" I, right, exactly. I'm just like, um, "That's huge." I actually like. I remember having this thought that this there is no scientific confirmation behind my dog story, but just like Tell the dogs me. all detecting yeah. these different things. But um, I think I, I think I 
thought about it like three years ago when I heard this because I, um, a while ago I had um, appendicitis and I was actually dog sitting at the time. I was dog sitting a Rottweiler. Did, did the dog put his face on where you uh, had well, the appendix? It was actually, it was kind of crazy. It was like, he was this 13-month-old Rottweiler, so Aww. he's not a puppy, but he, like he's, he's a, he, he has a puppy in the body of a very big dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> and um, I like didn't even usually dog sit for him, but um, my well, friend was out of town and yeah. he was, you know, he was like good boy. Yeah. And um, he's a special. Yeah. <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night um, because I was staying the night there with him mm-hmm. and you know, I was in like a lot of pain, and then oh. I was tackled by the dog. <laughs> oh my god! Seriously? And, yeah. But where did like, he did he go for like the area well, where you were like, sick? It wasn't. I, I mean, I don't even clearly remember. It's like I remember at the time. It wasn't like he was doing it aggressively. Like if I was well, I would have been able to like stand up and yeah. like you know and go deal with it. Run, off. Yeah. but like you know because I was sick and like kind of like and then there was this dog and I was like it wasn't an aggressive tackle no. like it was like a cuddly 13 month old Rottweiler Aww. thinks he's a puppy tackle yeah. but it was like he like was so interested in what was going on and I have always had a theory that he knew I had appendicitis yeah I think it's totally legit because I mean you pen they're doing all of those yeah. they, they were I think they've stopped but they have been doing um, experimental work on how dogs can detect detect different types of cancer yeah including yeah. ovarian cancer uh-huh so i you know in the first when sam did what he did when he naturally alerted which is super rare i th- yeah. i thought it was a one-off or it was a fluke but uh-huh. he's done it since and uh, you know i spoke to like this world famous trainer and she was like yeah i totally think that's credible bring him in and yeah you know, we and it was are, so are dogs common for like adrenal insufficiency like no he's mm-hmm. one of the few but mm-hmm. we would like to I, one of the things I would like to do as part of my advocacy is to yeah. build out a, like a core mm-hmm. of dogs you yeah. know then really it boils down to we need to find the right infrastructure uh-huh. um, I mean a lot of patients just can't afford the $18,000 that yeah, we take to train yeah. it up train the dogs up some of the things I've been kind of exploring are working with different service dogs organizations that mm-hmm. already do training for other dogs, especially the like diabetic alert dogs mm-hmm. um, and other trainers like who are private and then maybe something else. But, you know, it's, uh, it's like an adopt a dog program mm-hmm. where uh, an individual can like adopt a dog for a, uh-huh. a family or for a person and then give the dog to the patient. Yeah. And the nice thing about having that service dog is not only do you have, you know, and kind of an innate life-saving tool, yeah. um, you know, but you also have the companionship yeah. because it can be really lonely being a patient and sometimes you don't want to be around other people yeah. and the dog can help you like go out and make your invisible disability visible and that's tremendously helpful yeah that was something you said the first year that like I just like I hadn't considered before because it's like a lot of time you know depending on the condition sometimes it's visible sometimes it's not and like a dog is a way of sort of signaling like exactly like I might need a little different, like, accommodation or something. Yeah, I might need to, you know, I might need to sit down. Yeah. I might need to rest. I might need to go into the <laughs> handicapped lane. And, you know, otherwise, without that signal, people can, especially if you're on the younger side, I think yeah. it can be very difficult for people to process that. Like, it's just something I hadn't thought about with sure. dogs before. You know what? Neither had I <laughs> yeah. until I was faced with it, and I noticed uh-huh. the difference in how I was treated. Yeah. Um, and it, it does. It helps. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's just kind of, boiling down to funding but it's Uh so important you know a diabetic they have got 
they've got like uh, meters for glucose and they have like a very, I, you know, I think diabetes is very well understood mm-hmm. and widely understood. Yeah. Whereas with adrenal insufficiency, we have no way to measure our cortisol. Yeah. So if we're plunging into crisis, all we have are our symptoms. Yeah. So something like a dog is even more important, uh-huh. you know, because yeah. they can actually help be kind of a secondary line of defense. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't know that there weren't like tools to measure like adrenal oh it's terrifying I mean I have a meeting with the FDA next week yeah. um, because there's no tools to measure cortisol we don't have uh, I mean our injection is very clunky like yeah. we have to um, it's like a little bottle uh-huh. and the needles are separate and you have to um, you have to puncture and then mm-hmm. roll it and there are people who have died like trying to self inject because they haven't had the physical or mental like the, the physical yeah. or mental capability to do it yeah. or they you know they waited too late they didn't make the right judgment call Mm-hmm. Or it just happened so quickly that they were kind of caught unaware. Yeah. Um, so that that's a problem, too, is not having the right injections. Mm-hmm. So not having we don't have cortisol meters, we don't have injections. And then there are pumps that could be used off-label mm-hmm. for cortisol, but they're not. Yeah. And that actually would help kind of smooth people out, especially mm-hmm. people who have a hard time managing their illness. Uh-huh. So, you know, these are three technologies that are very are, are already being used for other illnesses. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, even though adrenal insufficiency is just as common as type 1 diabetes. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh? Well, I, I know, right? <laughs> so, like, there are maybe 30 different types of illnesses that result into adrenal insufficiency. Uh, the number one worldwide is TB. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there are a lot of patients, like the most common, the, the, the highest number of AI patients are actually mm-hmm. in India. Oh, wow. So they actually have some of the best, <laughs> India has some of the best, like, uh, infrastructure uh-huh. for dealing with AI. Yeah, so we, you know, there's, a, I, I think, some very uh, easy fixes that could make a yeah. tremendous difference in people's lives. Yeah, cool, cool. This is, like, I feel like this is cool new information for me. And great. Well, it's great. <laughs> um, also, well, thank you for letting me share. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the story of how Sam came into your life. <laughs> oh, the, the, the fortune teller, yes. Salma. This is, yeah, This I can't explain this. Like, in, uh, in the Mediterranean, you would say it was kismet. Mm-hmm. And kismet is the Turkish word for, like, synchronicity or uh-huh. coincidence, you know, a miracle, a blessing. Mm-hmm. When I was, I was being, I was posted overseas. I was serving as a, a diplomat overseas in, um, in Cyprus. And a group of us went to this fortune teller, and there's like a traditional way of telling fortunes in Cyprus where people read coffee. So our our fortune teller, her name was Selma, she was extremely good. And she looked at me and she told me that a man with dark sides and a white belly, like a penguin, would come up to my front door, and he would be the most loyal of them all. And I was just so befuddled. I was like, are we talking about like a guy in a tux? Does he look like a penguin? Is he short and fat? Like, what are we talking about here? And then a few months later, like, Sam appeared. Um, really, the night the night before my uncle's funeral mass. And, oh, wow. he, yeah. And I walked outside, and he was just right there. <laughs> and he had been in the neighborhood for a few days, but I guess he decided to pick my house. So he literally, he's, and lo and behold, he has tuxedo markings. So he's a gray dog, gray and black, with a white belly. And um, he has been the most loyal of them all. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I like. I've been telling that story to my coworkers. Have you? Yeah. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I, I, lo- I just, and it's so, it's true. It's like yeah. a little fairy tale. Well, you know what's even wilder is that Sam himself has epilepsy, so I'm like his service human. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's perfect. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, we take care of each other. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's like the, like, ideal, like, surface dog, surface human. Totally. Like. Very symbiotic. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, he's amazing. But, yeah, it was, I mean, he just showed up one day, and I can't explain it. It, it really, he is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, before we go, sure. um, so what were you advocating for today? So today, uh, most specifically, I was tasked with advocating for the uh, Center for like a, a mm-hmm. Center of Excellence for Rare Disease at the FDA at the Food mm-hmm. and Drug Administration. Uh-huh. So right now, roughly like half of the drugs that come out of that have been approved by the FDA are for rare disease. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be so important to have the Center of Excellence. Like for example, for my rare disease for Cushing's it's extremely difficult to diagnose Mm -hmm. and there's no post-surgery rehab protocol Mm -hmm. um and there really haven't been very like very much there hasn't been a whole lot of innovation in how it's treated you know within the last few decades Mm -hmm. so something like a center of excellence would be a great way for uh to foster innovation to foster collaboration and cooperation and also just kind of facilitate um approval more quickly like for example, those you know those three devices that yeah. are already being used in other illnesses would be so helpful to, to be translated into use for Cushing's patients. And if we had a center for, of excellence, I think that would be accomplished more quickly. Mm-hmm. And the wild thing is that I mean, they have the the FDA now has the authority to do it. And I think it's just a matter of political will. Great, thank you. Yeah, you're um, welcome. Before before we go, uh-huh. uh, my last two questions are: if you could leave yes. listeners off with one thing, what would it be? And also, where can people find um, your advocacy work, like social media handles or websites? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Um, if I were to leave people with one thing, I would please be compassionate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if. Um, Cushing's, I didn't really define what Cushing's is, so oh, I'll yeah. do that now. Yes, yes. So Cushing's is an endocrine disorder. Uh, it's an illness. It impacts mostly women, some men, and it's caused by hypercortisolism. And so how that presents is that it could be exogenous, which means that people take too many steroids for another condition, or endogenous, which means that a tumor makes too much cortisol. But, you know, some typical symptoms of Cushing's is like a, a large red face, we call a moon face, a large belly, muscle wasting, these like really strong, strange stretch marks called striae. Mm-hmm. Let's see, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, like emotional lability, mm-hmm. uh, irritability, mm-hmm. anxiety, depression. So there are physical, mental, and emotional symptoms that are manifestations of Cushing's. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see someone who has gained like 60 pounds in three months, bingo, you might yeah. have Cushing's. And unfortunately, there's a lot of fatism. So um, if you are a Cushing's patient or you are a potential Cushing's patient, you know, go to the endocrinologist that is willing to give you the medical diagnosis and is really going to dig mm-hmm. versus someone who's just going, and it can be very frustrating, someone who's going to try to write you off, you yeah. know, is needing more discipline or more yeah, of a diet. Yeah, especially, like, I feel like I hear all the time about doctors. So oh. Pinning everything on, especially when weight gain is like a symptom of a lot of things, yes. and not being able to see it as a symptom, but yeah. we're not even being able it's, to see symptoms that are unrelated to it. Exactly. Well, and, and mm-hmm. it's almost like you it invalidates your condition yeah. if you gain weight. And I think this is it's really important for women. Mm-hmm. Like I think women are blown off um, and not listened to. Yeah. And that um, that bias leads to delays and leads to deaths. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very real. It's very caustic. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it costs the uh, medical establishment a lot, and it's very difficult to root out because doctors are people too. Yeah. 
And so it's extremely important to go to an endocrinologist who is fact-based and who will really dive deep mm-hmm. into kind of what the underlying causes are. Mm-hmm. Um, so be compassionate with yourself and dive deep. And mm-hmm. then um, in terms of finding information and about my advocacy, mm-hmm. you know, I post a little bit. Um, there's like a, we have a private site for the Cushing Support Research mm-hmm. Foundation for our, our support group. Mm-hmm. And then um, on my Facebook page and then CSRF, they'll post mm-hmm. things. Um, I've done, so I've written, uh, several articles for CSRF and then for WAPO. They're mm-hmm. actually featuring Sam's story. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, it's exciting. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's diffuse. Um, and at some point I'd like to write a book about uh-huh. my experiences, you know, going and, and just kind of what it's like to be a Cushing's patient. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, it's so, so many aspects of it are so counterintuitive that if you exercise, you actually increase your cortisol and you gain weight. Oh, like, wow. it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's deadly. You know, we're four times as likely to have uh, heart morbidities. Uh-huh. So it's one of these things, and it impacts every system. That is something I forgot yeah. to say. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, my, my work has been kind of diffuse. Like, mm. I've, I've done some podcasts. I've uh, done some radio work. I've done some articles, mm. uh, CSRF newsletters. So, um, yeah, those are probably the best places to find my work. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This is such a pleasure, Alana. Thank you. You're doing great work. (laughs) Thanks.